0: There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you?
1: Howdy there, Mr. Podner! Cease that rustling. Tear up that mortgage. Unhand that rancher's daughter. We've got another in our series. I can't believe you haven't seen that part two. And would you believe it? Old Montana Mike over there has never seen the Robert Redford, Paul Newman classic, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Don't that just tombstone your Arizona? Of course it does. My Arizona has never been so tombstoned. But don't you worry none. We done sorted out that dilly of a pickle. Sure as tumbleweeds tumble and meadow muffins go squish. And we're going to have a palaver over the whole shooting match. Lord willing, the crick don't rise. So slap leather. Saddle up that cayuse. Replaster that tool shed? <laughs> I'm sorry, I've run out of authentic frontier gibberish. So let's just say I'm your host, Max, the East Lompoc Kid Levine, and over yonder is the rootinest, tootinest, um, flutinist, ill reputinist, your point is mutinist, Humber <laughs> this side of the Rio de Janeiro. Mike, loose! Give us a yeehaw, Mike.
0: Well, what's a cayuse?
1: <laughs> I, uh, it's a horsey. Oh, is it really? It really is. I thought it
0: was the thing at the end of a train.
1: It's the caboose. Oh. It's the thing you're sitting on.
0: Oh, I'm oh. sitting on a train?
1: Yes. But before we get all wild westerly and slapping <laughs> leather and. If uh, ever. If ever, <laughs> we've got our poll question. Poll question. Uh, we asked, what single movie best represents you? This is a pretty existential question. We had a few interesting answers. Tyler Stewart says, at some point, I need to see High Fidelity. I suspect that might come close. Hmm. Hmm, Okay. Val Coons owns Mistress and Dominatrix of Q Footsteps. (laughs) Yes, yes, Mistress Valerie. (laughs) I will teach Pikachu respect. (laughs) what i don't (laughs) how did pokemon (laughs) get into this
0: technically the (laughs) quote is pikachu will teach you respect but that makes more sense right
1: (laughs) yeah not merely but sure yeah (laughs) she said wow off on a tangent or what Uh, really hard to boil it down to one movie as my life has so many facets my brain keeps going back to a mighty wind because it incorporates music and improv and a bunch of nutty characters, just like my life.
0: Yeah, I get a mighty wind off after dinner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nick Hoffman says, "Tough question. Yes, hard not to see, not to veer toward favorites. I'm going to go with the Blues Brothers because it's absurd, silly, and they're weirdly resilient. Hmm.
0: Also, the car because oh, in high school true. Nick had." Not the exact car, but damned close to it. And
1: and
0: it was an ex-government car, and it did go like hell. And, yeah, the fastest I've ever been in a car in my life was in that car. Yikes. And I still don't know how much above 115 it was. (laughs)
1: Because that's when I closed my eyes. But, of course, that that wouldn't have happened because that would be wrong. Yeah. Brian Mundo says, fifth element, quote, I am a meat popsicle, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I like it. I don't know. I don't get it, but I like it. That's okay. Dave Dave? says, "Hmm, not really me per se. Okay, then uh, what follows, all right. But I love Charlie Wilson's War because of the character played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He is pretty awesome in that. Whose insights into foreign culture were such high quality, but in the end ignored. Yeah, that hmm. is true. Hmm. Ned on the website says, "I'd love to be considered a fellowship of the ring, earnest and plucky, if a little verbose at times." Eh, nice sum up, actually. Maybe but also like sneaky. second
0: breakfasts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't we all? But I and very hairy feet. Uh, but I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm more of a comedy. Maybe a Buckaroo bonsai? One can dream. Well, that would be a, certainly a natty cat movie to be. Yeah. Very well dressed. And Uh the bane of penguins everywhere, (laughs) Vince, has, I would say the film Liquid Sky would be representative, but my old friend Sterling and I saw Welcome to the Dollhouse, oh Lord! I don't know it. And after she said that film totally explained why she and I are the way we are, if I remember that's a really traumatic film. Don't know it. I fully realize neither says anything good about me. (laughs) Wow, that was the saddest post we've had. Aw,
0: no, Vince oh. is a great guy.
1: Yes, yes, he is. Even if
0: he does live up where you can only get penguin meat and you have to ride your walrus to Kroger. <laughs> if you had a Kroger, which you if don't. If you had a,
1: no, they, they have a uh, Tim Hortons.
0: Yeah. <laughs> get some Tim bits. Mm. Yep. It still well, sounds that, disgusting.
1: I know, isn't that true? All Canadians just live on back bacon and donuts? Probably.
0: Yeah. No one's ever defu- refuted that, so it must be true.
1: <laughs> That's what how science you? works these days. <laughs> but what about you, Mike? What single movie best represents you?
0: I' gonna have to go with Hudson Hawk. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have to have <laughs> I have to have a, oh, a question I don't answer with Hudson Hawk. And honestly, it's not Hudson Hawk. Okay. It's also not not Hudson Hawk. But <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I go on too long, and I don't make a lot of sense. That's about right. No, I. The film that came to mind was actually Empire Records, and in uh, to be fair, yep, that it represents more a period of my life than it does me. Except that I have yet to escape retail, so therefore, mm-hmm. okay. But that atmosphere that just sort of having to work, but also wanting to have fun at the same time. Wanting to be with a group of people of like minded people who have similar opinions that that's sort of I don't know that feels very like me. Now, I know this was a tough question, yeah. but what about you?
1: I it is tough, I'm not sure if this even works, but the one I kept thinking of was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That's exactly the film I would have picked for you, really. Yep, <laughs> just you know, <laughs> absurd, a little flaccid. In, a, <laughs> pff- <laughs> Thank you, and how would you know? I don't, <laughs> yeah. You know, just absurdist, uh, sort of fantasy based. Hasn't got all over it.
0: <laughs> I have to bleep I, that now. I know. <laughs> and Max has often seen banging coconuts together, so yeah, I, I, d- I totally get it.
1: Don't you judge me?
0: <laughs> I don't judge. I'm just pointing <laughs> it out. On the other hand, really, no. fine <laughs> it's what I. It's my life, man. Yeah, uh, you you bang but, whatever you want together, and yeah, I will. I will fight to the death your right to do so. Okay, how about your head in a cinder block? Nah, busy that day. Oh, okay. But thanks for everyone else answering this um, existentially difficult question. do
1: appreciate you, and we appreciate you so much. We want you to do it some more! Because there's no reward for hard work like more hard work. And bumpy bucks. <laughs> and bumpy bucks. With which you can buy bumpy puck cereal. <laughs> if you dig deep,
0: there might be a prize inside. You might not want to find it, though. Wash your hands.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, the new poll question <laughs> Assuming you like westerns at all, as you can tell, this was inspired by this week's film. Huh? Do you have a preference for the old classic John Wayne westerns like, you know, Fort Apache or The Magnificent Seven or Shane? Or do you prefer the more recent, grittier Westerns, like Unforgiven, Young Guns, or even Dances with Wolves? I'm sorry, Young and Guns is gritty? Well... It's prettier well,
0: than it is grittier.
1: <laughs> I suppose, but it looks like people don't bathe very often in it, although they do all seem to have hair care products.
0: Yeah care products of the old
1: West. West, Yes, and we'll tell you how to answer that question, and, you know, for the four of you who don't know, at the end of the show.
0: Those are the same four people who listen.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but they just don't pay attention, because why would they? They're nice people.
0: Yes. And we're glad they're here. So we glad are.
1: that you're going to do what? The Facts. Budget six million dollars. This is nineteen sixty nine, remember. Ooh, that's a lot of money. Worldwide gross a hundred and two million. Ooh. This was made at the top grossing film of the year, and if you adjust for inflation, it ranks as the thirty fourth top grossing film of all time, and the top ten for its decade. Wow. Because of all the re releases. It was nominated for seven Oscars, wow. including Best Picture and Best Director, which it did not win. Oops. It won Best Original Screenplay, William Goldman. Oh, man. Same the guy who we talked about him. Yep. Same guy who did Princess Bride, Best Cinematography, Best Original Song, and Best Original Score. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it also won nine, count them, nine British Academy Awards, the c- coveted BAFTAs. Which, I'm sorry, England, that's just a silly, silly acronym. BAFTA. It, yeah, it won for pick Best Picture, Best Actor, Robert Redford, Best Actress, Direction, Screenplay, Cinematography, Film Editing, Sound, and Score. It won every award it could. Wow. The 10th nomination was a dual nom for Best Actor. So Robert Redford beat out Paul Newman. Ooh. I was curious because Paul Newman keeps calling Robert Redford kid in this. Uh, he's about nine years older. I really wasn't sure.
0: Well, but he's the Sundance kid.
1: True, but he. But the kid part seems to be more like junior. So wait,
0: Redford's older than Newman.
1: Yeah. Oh no, no, other way around. Newman's older than Redford. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's nine years older. In the first previews of this movie, the audiences just cracked up. They were howling. They thought it was so funny. That really upset the director George Roy Hill who thought maybe he'd made the film too funny. He was quoted as saying, they laughed at my tragedy, he said, and reworked it to take out some of the bigger laughs. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, first off, let's address the elephant in the room. Yes, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were real people. Aha. Uh-huh. Butch got his nickname. His real name was, and they say this in the movie, his name is Robert Leroy Parker, and he got his nickname because he once worked in a butcher shop. Ah. Uh. Yeah. The Sundance kid's real name was Harry Alonzo Longbow, and he got his nickname because he was once arrested in the Wyoming town of Sundance. Ah. Yes.
0: Now, but what about the part where it says, most of what follows is true? That is actually accurate. A lot of what they
1: say, well, uh, we'll get to that. Okay. For example, William Goldman decided to make Etta a teacher because they're pretty sure who she was really based on, and uh, she was a prostitute. Okay. And he thought, when he looked at the picture, he thought she was too young and pretty to be a prostitute. Because um, most of the women in that in the Old West look kind of haggard, unhealthy, and coarse in the photos he'd seen of them. I see. Yeah.
0: Because the last thing you'd want being a prostitute is to
1: be young and attractive. Okay. Mm-hmm. The song, the Oscar-winning song, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, yeah. was written after the rough cut of the movie was completed, and when Redford first saw the movie, and he first saw that song, he thought it was terrible. Mm. And the agents for the singer, a guy named B.J. Thomas, sure, regretted letting him do it and thought it would ruin his career. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you name another B.J. Thomas song? Uh, didn't he do the theme for B.J. and the Bear? I don't believe he did. <laughs> uh, okay, then no. No. <laughs> You know who they wanted to get to sing the song? PJ and the Bear. (laughs) It's Greg (laughs) Evigan. They tried to get Bob Dylan to sing it, and Uh, he declined.
0: Raindrops keep falling on my head.
1: (laughs) Smallest impression. (laughs) The real-life sister of Butch Cassidy, Lula Parker Bettinson, often visited the set. And they they all loved having her around. In the she was lulls, still alive? She was still alive. She wow. She was very, very old. Wow. During the lulls in the shooting, she'd tell stories about her famous brother's escapade and was amazed at how accurately the script and Paul Newman portrayed him. Wow. Before the film was released, the studio found out about her visits, and they tried to get her to endorse the movie in a series of ads. Uh, She said, at at first, she said she would, but only if she saw the film first and really stood behind it. The studio wouldn't allow her to see the film in case that would harm its its reputation. Uh, Finally, at Redford's suggestion, she agreed to do it for a small fee. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, she was no fool.
0: And, well, I don't blame her either, because, like, you're putting your name out there. Even if you're not a famous person, you're still saying, I stand behind this thing, so. In the
1: introduction of his 1973 novel, The Princess Bride, William Goldman wrote, Fact, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is, no question, the most popular thing I've ever been connected with. When I die, if the Times gives me an obit, it's going to be because of Butch. William Goldman died in 2018, and the New York Times obituary starts with William Goldman, who won Academy Awards for his screenplays for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance <laughs> Kid and All the President's Men, and who, despite being one of Hollywood's most successful screenwriters, was an outspoken critic of the movie industry, died on Friday in Manhattan. Hmm. So he, he pegged it. Yeah. Redford wanted to do all his own stunts. Newman did not like this. He was really upset about him wanting to jump on the top of a moving train and run along the tops of the cars. He said to him, I don't want any heroics around here. I don't want to lose a (laughs) co-star. Originally, this movie was... The screenplay was titled The Sundance Kid and Butch Cassidy. When I tell you who was originally going to play Sundance, you'll see why. Can you guess?
0: Let me think. Sundance.
1: Think about... Who else had title issues with Paul Newman in a movie we watched? Oh, oh,
0: oh. And it was Towering for Now, and it was...
1: Yep. Um, it was Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Yep. They read the script at about the same time and agreed to do it. McQueen was going to play Sundance, so he wanted it to come first. When McQueen dropped out, they reversed uh, the names of the title, mainly because Newman was the superstar. Redford was comparatively unknown. Yeah, not so after this. <laughs> no, this was his big break, but Newman was much more famous. Speaking of stunts, Paul Newman did all his own bicycle stunts after his stuntman was unable to stay on the bike, <laughs> except for the one when Butch crashes backwards into the fence. That was performed by the cinematographer Conrad L. Hall. Okay. In order to get the shot of the super posse, that is how they referred to in the script. Jumping out of the train on their horses, the door on the opposite side of the train car was left open, and a ramp was placed out of view on that side of the train. In real life, the horses would not have had room in the train car to do the big dramatic jump. Ah. Catherine Ross enjoyed shooting the silent bicycle riding sequence best because it was handled by the crew's second unit rather than the director. She was quoted as saying, any day away from George Roy Hill was a good one. Oh, dear. dear. Yeah, this was after she had been scolded and banned from the set by Hill for operating a camera, even though the cinematographer, Conrad Hall, who she was dating, Uh-oh. invited her to do it. Ah, uh, yeah.
0: Pity, because she could have had a really great photo essay of the making of this film.
1: Seriously. But, no, no, I don't mean like a, a personal camera. He let her run one of the film cameras. Oh. And apparently she did a really good job. Oh, well. George Roy Hill, while a brilliant director... A lot of people didn't like him. He was was a perfectionist. He was hard to get along with. Paul Newman sawed his desk in half, quote, because he wouldn't pay his bill for the liquor that he borrowed from my office. Okay.
0: Borrowed? How do you borrow liquor? Oh. Oh, that's (laughs) disgusting. Oh,
1: oh. (laughs) Sure you want it back? No! (laughs) The most commonly used name for Butch and Sundance's gang was the Wild Bunch. However... The same year, Mr. Sam Peckinpah had his movie *The Wild Bunch* coming out, and uh, they changed the changed it to *The Hole in the Wall Gang* to avoid confusion. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. This film was was filmed about the same time as the other great western *Hello Dolly*. Uh, um, on the, yeah, I know. On the soundstage <laughs> next door. George Roy Hill wanted thought the studio would let him film the New York scenes on Dolly's sets, since the two films' daily shooting schedules were totally different. After production started, though, the studio informed him it wanted to keep the sets for Dolly a secret, so they refused him permission to work around this. Hill had Redford Newman and Catherine Ross just pose on the sets and took photos of them. He then inserted images of the three stars into a series of 300 actual period photos and spliced the two different sets, real and posed, together to form the New York City montage. Oh, neat. This movie is also the film debut of Master of the Mustache, Sam Elliott. Oh. But you would not know it. Because you never see his, the, him from the front. Ah. You know the, the card game at the beginning of the movie? Sure. There's two card players at that table. One of them gets up and leaves, and you never see him. That's Sam Elliott. I knew it! Yeah, know you didn't. <laughs> he also went on to marry Catherine Ross in 1984. Ooh! Paul Newman did not want to play Butch. He pleaded with George Roy Hill to watch what Newman considered one of his worst performances in the comedy, Rally Around the Flag Boys. 1958. Hey, it's no Silver Chalice. <laughs> Quote, I'm a terrible comic actor, Newman insisted, but became more convinced when Till told him he didn't have to go for the jokes, but to just play it straight. He, what? Yeah. He's funny. He is very funny, but he Weird. didn't think he was funny. Oh. Uh, Newman also had to fight to get Redford cast because he was an unknown. Hmm. Contrary to the popular belief, I didn't know this was popular, by the way. I, the vocalists in the South American getaway—you know that whole
0: ba 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 ba
1: ba ba da—yes, the ba ba da ba da da. They were not the Swingles. Oh, I, know, I, I was I know, sure it was the Swingles. I know, I was disappointed too. It is in fact the Ron Hicklin Singers, ah, who you should actually know <laughs> from they're what a group of Los Angeles studio vocalists, and they're best known as the Real Singers. For the background vocals on the Partridge Family. Ah. Yep. Exactly. There's also a voice in there, which if I hadn't read this, I would never have spotted. Every so often you'll hear a really low voice. Mm-hmm. bump in there that is the great Thurl Ravenscroft oh of course AKA it is aka Tony the Tiger and the guy who sings You're a Mean One Mr. Grinch
0: I kept thinking it was Ted Cassidy like leftover you know him just like <laughs> singing because it sounds uh, like Ted Cassidy but d- of course it's Thurl
1: Ravenscroft of course there is a ton more there's a lot there have been books written about this this movie but uh, I've already covered too much so mm. we'll stop there and get to the plot mm. <clears throat> yee <Yee-haw! laughs> It's the waning days of the Wild Wild West, that is to say it's the turn of the century, and also the waning days of the legendary outlaws Butch Patrick and the Sundance Film Festival. No, wait, hang on, that's, that's not right. Oh, hell. Oh, you know who it is. We've already covered that. Butch and Sundance have become too notorious for their own good, and they've robbed the same train for the last time. It's just so easy, you know? You know right where the train is going to be and everything? They have incurred the wrath of one Mr. E.H. Harriman of the Union Pacific Railroad, and he has assembled a super friend's posse to (laughs) send after them. Butch comes up with one of his cunning plans, and they and Sundance's girlfriend at a place head off to Bolivia via New York, apparently, (laughs) to rob banks in a whole new language. If only they spoke that language. They even try their hand at honest work, which goes about as well as you can expect. Etta realizes they can't go on this way, perhaps sensing the impending end of the dynamic duo and heads back north. Butch and Sundance are eventually cornered by what they think is the local police force, but unbeknownst to them, ends up including, well, most of the Bolivian army. As you can imagine, this does not end well for our heroes. The film. I do want to point out, a lot of the... This movie is surprisingly historically accurate. Not everything. It's more than you would think. They're, according to the British newspaper, The Guardian, for historical accuracy, they gave it about a B.
0: Okay. That's or actually for, pretty damned high for that sort yeah. of thing.
1: For example, the guy who's fanatically loyal to Mr. E.H. Harriman of the Union Pacific Railroad, Mr. Character Woodcock. Character yep. Yep, great. That was a real person. Oh. The same guy. They robbed him twice. They almost killed him. And uh, they they did blow up the car he was in and uh, knocked him around a lot. The super posse is made up of six people, only five of whom get identified by name in the movie. Are we still doing trivia? Uh, no, no. This is just part of sort of background. But, I beg uh, to differ. <laughs> fine. This can st- This is trivia part two. It's hard to edit. Yeah, well, Joe Lafours he was real. Uh, an actual marshal. All the most of the others are fictional, except for this one guy named T. T. Kelleher. Hmm. They also were not. There was no in real life. There was no super posse. They simply hired the Pinkerton Detective Agency. Oh, and there wasn't a big chase. Butch and Sundance heard they were after them and left. Oh, that was it. Hmm. I mean, they to were, be fair,
0: the Pinkertons had quite the reputation, and for good reason. You they did. Really...
1: That's why. That's why they left. They hmm. were like crap. Pickertons are after us.
0: Bye. I think it worked a lot better the way they did it.
1: So you have never seen this movie.
0: Nope. It has been one of those films. The only sequence I have ever seen is the raindrops keep falling on my head sequence with him (laughs) on the bicycle. And I'm like, whatever. And which, of course, kind of doesn't give you any idea of what the rest of the film is like. Nope. Totally standalone. Never liked that song. Um, Um. I still don't like that song. I'm not a big fan of Burt Bacharach. Um, He's fine. It's just not, it, he just reminds me of the 70s, no matter what he's done. When, I know this isn't the 70s yet, but it's, it, it. We're on the cusp. Yeah. This is helping to define some of the music of the 70s right yeah. there and then. So not, I didn't really, and it's a Western. So I really did not know much about it. And you had, no. when, do you remember the first time you actually saw the whole film?
1: Because <sighs> it wasn't when it came out. No, it was not when it came out. <laughs> I actually think I saw it at summer camp that they showed it to us. oh, you mentioned that weird summer camp
0: where they showed you movies, and I forget what the yeah. other one was, but it was a really odd choice.
1: There were a bunch of odd choices, like there were a lot of westerns, okay? I think they showed us Alvarez Kelly and <laughs> summer camp. yeah, okay i I think they had a limited film library. I guess so,
0: yeah. And now, and had, kids, sit down to get your balloony sandwiches for the Wicker Man. <laughs> the Omega Man?
1: I, w- I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah.
0: So, you saw it when you were a kid. And yeah. you trusted as a mother.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. That may have been the last time I saw it. Before, really? You know, yesterday. Yeah. Okay. might have. I might have seen it at a movie marathon, but I am not sure.
0: So... What would, do you do you have any recollection of what your reaction was to it back in some I in the was kind of
1: stunned. I, I really liked it, but it really was not what I was expecting. I, I used to watch a lot of westerns. And I still have. And I was like, Oh, it's gonna be another western. Hey, wait a minute, I didn't think it was gonna be funny. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know they could that westerns could be funny. The ones I would seen before were not funny. Yeah. I had never seen Cat Baloo. I so that came later. Or Hello Dolly is a Western uh, no, it's not. But. <laughs> <laughs> She's the rootin'est, tootin'est singer in the West. Yeah, the rootin'est, tootin'est matchmaker in all of Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hello, Dali. Yeah. Anyway, we uh, we usually do the actors. You want to do the actors? Yeah, sure. Because, well, do you want to leave the top two out? Yeah, re- let's leave the co- big to be boys fair, out. Most of the rest of them are character actors. Yeah, that actually, being said. Yeah. Catherine Ross, I think, is terrific in this. I'm going to say, once again... She doesn't have a lot to do, and that is she not doesn't. her fault.
1: No, it's a script. The character is not very fleshed out, but you still get a real sense that she is a person.
0: Not only that, but there is a strength to her. There, she has to occupy a certain role because this film is trying to be factually accurate to a point. So we can't have barbed wire or something like that. Yeah. And so because she's in a traditional role you might wish that she could do more. And again, it's not about her. It's about those two guys. And I do want to come back to her in relation to those two guys. But when she's on screen, she's a very lovely young woman, and she does a decent job with what she's given. I just don't think they gave her very much to do, which is a shame.
1: By the way, did you recognize
0: Cloris Leachman? No, I saw her name. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> and it's like, where is she? And
1: it's, she yeah. was Agnes. Ag- yep, she was Agnes the Hooker. The okay. one who was like, other girls like you, Butch, because you buy them things. I don't really care about money or clothes or anything.
0: That was Cloris Leachman? That was
1: Cloris friggin' I totally Leachman. did not recognize her. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, wait, Cloris Leachman is not supposed to be hot. Well, not only that, well, you
0: know, here's the thing. I know her mostly from the Mary Tyler Moore show, which she would start doing a year later. And there are episodes where she's in a leotard doing dancing workout with Mary and Rhoda. And I think at the time she was close to 10 years older than Mary was. And she's a very nicely apportioned woman. (laughs) Can you say that? (laughs) Apportioned? I
1: think you mean proportioned, but sure. Sure.
0: So, I think that she, like Mary, did a lot of dancing. And mm. so she kept herself in shape. I just did not recognize her.
1: No, she's. I, if I hadn't known that was her, I wouldn't have, you know, there's no way. And Cloris Leachman,
0: I got to say, I don't know if she's shown up in any of our shows before or not, but she is a highly underappreciated actor. Oh,
1: definitely. She's
0: this, even though the levels she had playing Phyllis were. She was playing two emotions at the same time and doing it really well. And then you see her in a much broader comedy like Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And she's just grabbing that role and going for all it's worth. So... She he was my boyfriend! boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she... And, of course, we have another uh, alum from those mailbrooks mother. We have Kenneth Mars. But I don't think <laughs> she gets nearly <laughs> the credit that she deserves. But... Let's skip to Kenneth Mars.
1: Yeah, he's in one scene. He's the marshal.
0: but Boy, did I feel bad for that guy.
1: Oh, yeah. He's standing out there trying to get a posse together, and everyone's just looking at him like, nope. Hey, guys,
0: (laughs) those villains are out there robbing our trains. Don't you think we should do something? tweet, tweet, chirp, chirp. (laughs) Cricket, cricket, cricket. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, Kenneth Mars too. plays these amazingly broadly different characters. Mm. My favorite Kenneth Mars role will always be playing Hugh Simon from Uh What's Up Doc, who bears as much resemblance to this part as Agnes (laughs) does to Phyllis.
1: Yeah, you'd never know.
0: And he's mostly a comedic actor. And while his role is funny, he is not playing it humorously. And that's why it's funny. He's
1: very sincere. Seer, he yeah. really believes this. He's trying to do. He's trying to do a Saint Crispin's Day speech, and they're and they're just like not having it. And then the guy gets up in the middle of it and starts trying to sell bicycles.
0: Yeah, and that's Henry Jones, who is another well-known character actor. Uh, he's been in everything. Oh,
1: there's a ton of uh, of character actors in this. Jodie Gilbert, okay, who yeah, the who is <laughs> simply credited. Did you
0: see her character name. That's so yes, awful. large
1: woman. <laughs> Well, Jodie Gilbert was a powerfully built woman. She was a big lady. I don't mean fat. She was like built. She was a barrel house of a woman. Mm. And she has she has a credit of like 120 movies.
0: Good for her. I know her from a Dick Van Dyke episode. So
1: been in everything.
0: Ted Cassidy.
1: Ted Cassidy. Lurch himself. Yeah. Ted Cassidy. Meet Butch Cassidy. (laughs) Yes. And of course Ted and Ted does a good job considering he's. Not the best in terms of his speaking roles, shall we say. He's I think a, he's fine. He does fine in this. He's He does what he's supposed to. He's big and menacing. Yeah.
0: And especially if you've seen him in the episode where he was in Star Trek, and he literally lifts William Shatner over <laughs> his head. Yep. I'd be intimidated. And, of course, he has one of the best lines in the film. There's no rules in a knife fight.
1: Punt. <laughs> I right. got to say we'll come back to this. Uh, this movie this is a movie that should have been one of our quotables because it's loaded with good quotes.
0: I had a few. I don't think
1: I had a lot, but I had a few. I had a few. I think it had quite a few. Jeff Corey's in this. He's Sheriff Bledsoe. The he's been in everything. He's the guy. that's it's like you can at least tie me up.
0: Yeah, he was funny. He was. He's also been an episode of Star Trek. He's. I'm sure his IMDb list goes on and on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, it does. Strother Martin's been in
1: everything. Every Western had Strother Martin.
0: Yep, and he he he's the guy from Bolivia, right? He's the. Uh,
1: Yep, he's the, uh, the head mining. of the uh, the mining operation. Yep. And
0: if you want old coot, there you go. You <laughs> yep. either get him or Walter Brennan, one of the two of them. Mm-hmm. And he always plays the... I'm smarter than you are. I have more experience than you do. You don't know anything, and I'm going. BAM, to spit. I'm dead. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That we'll we'll get to that. George Firth has been in many many things. He's the uh, guy who plays Woodcock, Woodcock yep. the the guy in the train who's I work for E. F. Hutton and or whatever his name is. <laughs> e. F. Hutton. Yes. He's. That's why you hire him because he's that kind of character actor. He's really good. But we we'll might also go back up to the top.
1: Yeah, we got Newman and Redford, and. Who
0: didn't see this as being like the Hollywood pairing of the decade, I don't Ugh, know. Because I don't know. they're both I mean, Newman saying, Oh, I'm
1: not good at comedy, I totally disagree. He is really funny in this. He has great timing. His delivery is terrific. He I think he's funny as hell. And it's
0: Paul Newman. I mean, yeah. you're not really gonna go wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, this movie goes way over the legal limit for handsomeness
0: yeah and paul newman's a little older so he's a little bit more quote-unquote rugged and redford does have what would become the 70s porn stash but he (laughs) rocks it
1: yeah he makes it look good
0: let's face it in this film he's a hunk He really is, and you can totally see why they were both popular with people who appreciate handsome men, because they're Mm -hmm. both—I mean, Newman's good-looking, but Redford, uh, he's just rocking that thing, like, for
1: all it's worth. I loved—I saw an interview, Barbara Walters was interviewing Robert Redford, and she's saying, you know, is it difficult working with another actor who's so good-looking, like Paul Newman, and he just looks at her— absolutely deadpan goes you think he's good-looking <laughs> <laughs> they had to, they had to cut away because she just lost it well, he's also one of those
0: actors who is good-looking and can act right yes because sometimes you just get they both who's are they both yeah, are both and of course you know newman had quite the the credentials leading up to this so it's oh, no yeah. surprise but the chemistry between them, mm-hmm. and this is where I want to come back to Catherine Ross. Yeah, the cre- the chemistry between Newman and Redford would, of course, carry them on to their next big film, which would also make acres of cash. Which is the Sting. Uh, although I don't, did they do one in between? I can't. remember. I can't
1: remember. If they did, it wasn't as successful. Uh,
0: but of course, the Sting was gigantic. It was huge. And I bet you know, if I'm looking back, I bet it made more money than this. And it's it's certainly possible because that film was high. It was could huge. have. There is a point, and I have this in my notes, where they're coming back, and there's actually this very initially uncomfortable scene, and it's... Oh, yeah. It's, we have, um, Robert Redford is... is done with their initial train robbery. He spent his money. He's going off to find somebody on his own. And you get the feeling that he's been a loner and that he sees something in Butch Cassidy that it's like, I can tolerate you. We can be a team. It's okay. And you're smarter than me. Although, as it turns out, maybe (laughs) not as much as he thinks. And those two get along fine, but he's like, yeah, I'm going to go off and I'm going to find somebody myself. And he goes off to this house and it seems like he has broken in And there's about to be this really uncomfortable rape scene and I'm just like oh please don't do this don't do this movie and it turns out it's a game they play and there yep. is another film and I can't remember what it is and there's two actors doing the same thing and a kid walks in and she goes oh you guys are so weird and <laughs> I can't remember what the movie is
1: but I don't I think I know what you mean but I, I can't remember either yeah if you, if you do let us know but uh, yeah yeah. I, that scene I remember the first time I saw it I was like oh no come on we start I like Sundance don't make him into this monster like oh and she gets that great you know what I wished once you get here on time <laughs> yeah and we find out the next morning
0: because Butch shows up that well he and Edda get along really well too and she even says something like I wonder what if we would have got together if Sundance hadn't shown up and Sundance even talks about what he likes in a partner and quite honestly, It's pretty much describing Butch.
1: Yeah, there's definitely at least a bromance going on here. And I should say that there, I read a couple of things. There was, some people have speculated, there is no evidence of it, that the three of them were kind of a throuple.
0: That was my question. Yeah. And part of the reason I asked this is, it's 1969. The sexual revolution is in full high gear. And... Traditional roles are being questioned, and the idea of it just being a man and woman and a couple and married and that's it being the only way to look at things was really being turned on its head. And part of me wondered if the film wasn't trying to comment on it, even by not stating it or not showing them all in a bed or something. Was it suggesting that?
1: What do you think? I think it was at least hinting at that. And I definitely I mean. In the New York montage, there's a couple of pictures of what's clearly New Year's Eve and uh, Sundance and Etta are dancing and there are a couple of pictures of Butch sitting at his table looking over at them and in a couple he's smiling and in one he's got this sort of look kind of sad. Mm. Like maybe he's a little envious and you don't know which of them is he envious of or is he just envious that they have each other? or mm-hmm. So it- I, I think that whether they knew it or not, the subtext is there. And I don't want anybody to think
0: that, especially on my side of the show, I have some sort of homo agenda and I'm trying to point, say, oh, yeah, they were totally a gay couple. No. In fact, if they were a threesome, I don't see Butch and Sundance ever doing anything together. But I see all three of them in the bed enjoying the company of Etta and Etta very much enjoying the company of both of them. So I – that's why, of course – and then you yeah. see these photos – all of the photos, all three of them are there. So it's like yeah. they go on dates, but Butch is always with them. So I thought it was a very interesting, very. It, it was one of those cultural references of the time the film was made that didn't not me- knock me out of the time period the film was supposed to take place in. So, but yeah, I just I really wanted to hear. Yeah, you. no,
1: I I think that's a, ver- a very reasonable interpretation. I think I got that. I got that vibe too. Yeah.
0: Now, as a Western. There are some things missing that really help make this film not only hold up but more enjoyable. And one of them is racism. Ah. And there really isn't any. Now, the main reason for that is there are no Native Americans actually depicted in the film. There's one named. But all we know about that person is that they have changed their name from whatever their traditional name is to Lord Baltimore. Fictional character, For by reasons the way. For
1: I can't even begin to guess. <laughs> who knows? You notice there are no black people in this either.
0: No. And there's, and he's a great tracker. That's all we know. I, I don't personally find that culturally insensitive. It just is like, hey, he's really good at this thing. And he's yeah. a force to be reckoned with.
1: Oh, yeah. They're terrified of him.
0: And when we get to Bolivia, none of the Bolivians are depicted as being other than people who speak Spanish. That's it. They're not dumb or they're not, you know, stereotypically doing, I don't even know what stereotypical Bolivian people do. But they're just people in another country.
1: They're not uh, made fun of. They're not less. Yeah, those Bolivians living on the west side of South America like that. <laughs> yeah. Doing west things. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, those west coast South American guys. By the way, that was not, of course, filmed in Bolivia. It was filmed in Mexico. <gasps> oh, see, I yeah. thought it was still in California. Somewhere. No, no, they actually did go to Mexico. They act, Those those are actual Spanish-speaking people speaking Spanish.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, I really very much appreciated yeah. that we did not have... Now, that being said, they are... The racism is missing as much as the people that it's usually directed. with. Head, yeah. So there's no black people, there's no Native Americans. And let's face it, we do
1: have some banditos...
0: Yeah, but they're, really Even are they any different than Bush no, and Sundance? No, that's,
1: that's the thing. They aren't like, they don't have huge black handlebar mustaches. They're not wearing sombreros. No. Of course, if they're Bolivian, they wouldn't be. No. But yeah, they're just like, yeah, we're, we're criminals like you. We're criminals like the Hold in the Wall gang. Well, no different.
0: Except, let's face it, um, this is back in a period of time when bad guys were actually pretty nice. Because <laughs> Butch and Sundance don't actually shoot anybody until they get to
1: Bolivia. Yeah, I mean Butch tells him there he's never before there with that gunfight he's never shot anybody. Yeah, it's, I'm always wondering how did that not
0: come up? They he was smart enough to understand the pressure and the threat of a weapon yeah. in a, a land that even if you carried one you probably didn't know how to use it. And as has been proven many times, having a gun does not mean you can kill somebody. It is very easy to miss if you have no
1: idea how to shoot a gun. (laughs) Yeah, that is one of the things in this movie that is, and I cannot fault it because it's true in every Western, the magical accuracy of the pistol. Hmm. Pistols are not accurate beyond about 50 feet.
0: Well, and here's the thing. The only one who's actually really any good at it is Sundance. And apparently he's preternaturally good, and that's fine. Because that's his thing. yeah. But, yeah, they're the nicest bad guys you're going to ever <laughs> want to meet.
1: They don't want to hurt Woodcock. They don't want to shoot anybody. Well. And as he points out, you think E.H. Harriman would put himself in danger for you, Woodcock?
0: Yeah. And it's it's obvious that if Butch wasn't there, Sundance probably would. Because yeah. there's a little bit of a, I don't want to say it's a mean streak, but there's very, a much more... Lack of caring for human life. In, you
1: get the feeling he's more willing to kill. Yeah,
0: and probably I mean, that's what he why he got his name. You, so.
1: you don't get that good by threatening people and not shooting them. Yeah.
0: Now, of course, we have initially we have the two boys come back and they're facing their gang and the gang and the in their their lack of presence has decided. Well, you know, um, Ted Cassidy, who could literally pick all of us <laughs> up and throw us, has decided he's the leader now, and we're going to do what he says. Probably mostly because we don't want to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and then they come back, and Butch is like, What are you talking about? This is my gang. I was like, You said that we could challenge you anytime. Well,
1: yeah, because I didn't think you would. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that there's one of them named News yeah. <laughs> who carries around all their press clippings <laughs> and just hang on. I got to get to the good part, which is his name in it. Yeah. I, lo- I love have- seeing my name in print.
0: Yeah. And it's a- it is a very humorous moment when. Paul Newman takes down Ted Cassidy in a trick, yep. which is honestly the only way that was going to work. Yeah, And the funny thing is, is like the one of the reasons he takes him down is like, we're not going to do what you're saying. And he's like, you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea. Let's go do that. <laughs> and the only thing they get wrong is it turns out that E.F. Hutton, or whatever the hell his yeah. name is, is just Duffy. angrier and has more resources than they thought.
1: Yeah, and that's right. He, he upgrades the safe and he hires the super posse.
0: Well, he hires them separately because they're all these people that are the number one in their field and don't leave their territory except if you give them a large enough chunk of change. Apparently, they will. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk specifically about, because we have talked about this a lot in other movies, and usually it is in a negative way, there's a couple of big, really big tonal shifts in this film. True. Would you agree about that? I would. Now, generally... When we talk about tonal shifts, it's like, wow, this film does not know what it wants to do. Is it a funny film? Is it a tragic film? Is it like, what, what, this is not making any sense at all. What did you think of, because there's really a tonal shift from light and fun in the beginning of the film and fairly quickly, the tone switches to a dangerous one, switches back to a lighthearted one and then switches back to a serious one.
1: Yeah. Do you think those tonal shifts work? I do. I think they work really well because I, I don't think they're jarring. I think they move into them and they fit the story. They fit the narrative because most of the time the whole idea is Butch is doing this. He's trying to think his way through things. He doesn't want to hurt people. He doesn't, want, and, But obviously he doesn't really think that far ahead because it's true. If you keep robbing the Union Pacific Railroad, which at the time was an enormously powerful company, they are going to take action. They aren't just going to build a better safe. They're going to find. They're going to hunt you down and kill you.
0: They have to.
1: They don't have a choice. I mean, Butch gets really mad about that. He's saying he's paying more to catch us than he ever, than we ever took from him. Why doesn't he just give me the money and I won't <laughs> rob him anymore? <laughs> Which, of course, we know is not true. <laughs> no, but I... Uh, yeah, I, I think it works. What did you did you agree?
0: I did. And it is not common for me to do so because if I go to see a comedy, I expect to see a comedy. Yes, there can be some drama in it. That's fine. But it's so rare that tonal shifts, especially if they are big tonal shifts, and if they're fairly sudden, this isn't that sudden, that they're handled poorly and they don't work. And in here... I think it actually gave me pause to sit there and go, wait, I'm rooting for the villains. <laughs> <laughs> there are protagonists, but... Um, they're they're criminals. They're thieves. They're it's stealing s- stuff at yeah. gunpoint. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, It's the same thing with The Godfather. It's like, wait, I am actually sympathizing with gangsters. Yeah, and we had a real problem
0: with that, except yeah. that it was a really good story. And yeah. to be fair, it, well, the first film most people got their comeuppance, which is fine, and most of the comeuppance did not come at the detriment to somebody outside the family, which is one of the reasons I think that that makes that story more palatable. And here, because our heroes, such as they are, our protagonists, because there is a difference, yeah, our protagonists are not hurting people except stealing from them, which is still a problem. Yeah. We can sympathize with them. And then when they take that one step too far and suddenly things turn really bad and, well, the gang mostly gets killed and they go running off. I really liked the way they depicted the posse. And the posse for me very quickly became a symbol. Did you feel
1: that? I did because we never really see them. At all. We never see their faces. We see... Their hats, we can see them <laughs> at a distance. They are, as you say, it's like they're a force of nature. They're some kind of almost superhuman. They, they, they talk about like Lord Baltimore can track anyone. Uh, Joe Lafour Lef- excuse me, who was a real lawman, was an, a, a very, very feared marshal. And they all were. They, apparently, they're like all these incredible, the best of the best, and they form this one unit that is inescapable. So what did you think that they represented? They represent the way the world's changing, the way that now the world is too big for... It, it's like uh, that. Uh, the sheriff, their friend, tells them, you're just two two-bit outlaws. And they're too. the world has gotten too big. The West isn't that wild anymore. It's after the Gold Rush. It's after oh, the Civil War's over and the Spanish-American War. It's They're hitting the 20th century, and this sort of outlaw stuff is... Last is so last century, it's too big for them, they can't fight it anymore, and they haven't realized it. I liked that it was
0: a, a fact of the film that we never see faces. I think that's really important, and I'm not yeah. sure exactly what drove the director or the screenwriter to do that. But the thing I loved also is that they do get closer. And closer. And yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Inevitability was the word that I used in my notes. But also the end of the era and death. Like this is, you know, the this specter approaching like guys, you're you're done. Your your days, the days of what you did are, are over, and they're getting closer and closer until you can't escape them. Yeah. The one thing that I wondered about, because we do see we, we don't know that they show up in Bolivia. All we see is a hat. Yeah. And it's a hat that is worn by one of the people in the posse. And they're in Bolivia and they're like, we're way the heck away from everybody. We're doing the same thing we always did. We've lost them. Because they were in New York for a long time and never got bothered until they were like, you know, uh, I think we saw. didn't Did you see so-and-so was in New York and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then they get down to Bolivia and we never actually see the posse. Nope. Do you think they actually were there?
1: I don't. They just see a guy who's wearing a white hat. It's a a skimmer. I guess it's like a boater. boater, yeah. A boater. And that's from the back, and that's it. And they panic and assume that it's him. So how did
0: you feel about the fact that the symbol, such as it was, doesn't pay off?
1: I think in a way it did. It chased them out of the country.
0: Well, it didn't because they never leave the country. Oh well, no, Bolivia. No, they chased them
1: out of America. It chased right. them all the way down to Bolivia.
0: But as a symbol, that's as a posse. As a symbol, to me, I really wish that somehow they had been part of the final bit of the
1: film. No, that didn't bother me. I like the idea that the posse were very integral to America, to the country where they became famous, and that's the country. There's no longer a place for them. Bolivia, it turns out, is similar, but for different reasons. Yeah, Uh, I don't know anything
0: about Bolivia. I know that the currency is a Bolivari. That's what I
1: know. I didn't know (laughs) that. No, I mean, in in the movie, it's still a place full of outlaws, full of bandits, full full of crime. It's largely bad luck what happens to them. They just are in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: Well, they also do something dumb
1: because they
0: rob somebody and they, they steal... A, I
1: think it's a mule. A white mule, and they don't bother dealing with the brand.
0: They leave it is, right out in the open. Yeah. So somebody says, hey, that, I know who's that brand. And, and I actually like the fact that we do not get any translation.
1: Yeah, no, that is actually nice. Because and we're it, as lost as they are. They become famous in Bolivia. They're the uh, bandidos Yankee.
0: Right. So I I wish that this the symbol had been there Just a little bit, somehow. Like, even if we just saw them behind the soldiers, like, turn and leave. Something to basically complete that would have been cool to me. I'm not sure it's a huge loss that it's not there, but I really liked them as a symbol. And I don't see that in movies that often. So I was really keen on how they were used up until the very end. The thing Mm. about the end is, because I know that there are people like, well, they don't actually show you. And it's like, no.
1: There that, are theories that at least Cassidy survived the, uh, the ambush. And became Tommy Wiseau? <laughs> no. He, <laughs> although, one of the more outlandish ones is that he, he survived, went to Europe, had plastic surgery, came back, and moved to Spokane, Washington. Sure. Yeah, who knows. What, so, all right, so let's talk about that. The
0: end of the yeah. film is a freeze frame. Yeah, they lurch them. They lurch out of. They've been both been shot by a couple mm-hmm. of the local um, cops, constabulary yep. or whatever. They hole up in
1: this building yep. while they they're doing that. They think they're just dealing with a police force, but they don't know. Yeah, tell them. Yeah, the army is is like literally around the block. And some, some reason, an entire regiment of the Bolivian army happened to be like next door, and maybe they were out hunting them. I don't know. And they're surrounded by marksmen. They don't know this. They think they can shoot their way out past, you know, a dozen police or so.
0: Do they? Or do you think they actually know what they're about to do?
1: I don't know. I think they know because they both... First off, they've both been shot. Right. And back then, if you got shot at all, you were probably not going to make it. Or if you got shot in a limb, you were going to lose the limb. They're both shot in the abdomens or somewhere in the torso. Well,
0: no, I think... um... Butch is shot in in the arm or the hand because that's where the blood's coming down. Okay. And uh, Sundance was shot in the leg and I I think the shoulder. Okay. So they were the the hero wounds, you know? (laughs) Ah, yes. The ones that
1: could walk off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a level of them where I think, because Butch is coming up with his new plan. They're going to go to Australia. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I agree. I think that initially, they're like, yeah, we can get out of this. But I think that the more they talk about it, it's just trying to shore themselves up for what they know is going to happen.
1: And they knew it was inevitable because Etta knew. Right. You know, well, she, she tells left. them, well, she said, I will do, you know, I'll go with you. I'll stitch up your wounds. I'll cook for you. I will not watch you die. Right. And right before this, she leaves. She says, I think I'm going to head home because she knows, I think, on some level they're going to end up dead. Right. And you know,
0: spoiler for this twenty—I'm sorry, forty-four-year-old film. Yeah, Yeah, uh, they don't make it. I don't care what anybody says. So it ends with a French
1: frame, it goes sepia tone, and you hear "fuego," blah blah blah, "fuego," blah blah blah. So you know, unless the entire Bolivia army are. Stormtroopers? You know, the stormtroopers from Star Trek, <laughs> Star, uh, star Wars. Wars, whatever, same thing. Uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> I know. You're fired. Um, unless they're they're all you know, Jango Fett. Then of course uh, they're dead. There's no way they could miss them.
0: Oh dear gods! I just realized where William Shatner got the title. He took Star Trek, Star Wars, removed the star, and was left with Trek Wars, and said, "I'll just take out a letter and I'm done." Oh,
1: oh God! <sighs> I bet right. it is. Anyway,
0: uh, I I think they knew, but they weren't going to give up either. And no, I think they were the, going
1: to die shooting. They were going to die doing what they wanted. Well,
0: and it goes back to that one marshal that was a friend
1: of theirs. Yeah. And they were
0: like, the only thing you can choose is how the way you're going to die because it's going yeah. to happen. So,
1: yeah. And you I notice think. they don't argue with him when no. he's telling them that. When they go to see him because they have this plan of enlisting in the army. Yeah. And that just he just cracks up at that, really. You're wanted criminals. You think they're just going to overlook that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. We
0: can go and use our great skills as gunmen and stuff in the army. Then when we win the war, we come back and they let us go. Yeah. <laughs> this is when you realize, oh, okay. Butch isn't as smart
1: as he says he is. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, he's just a guy who bothers. You get the feeling Sundance. He's not smarter than Sundance. His Sundance just doesn't bother coming up with plans. That's not how his mind works. He shoots. Yeah, he, That's he's it. he's a an action. He's a man of action. He's not a thinker.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like the beginning card scene when he's playing cards and the guy is like, yeah, I think you're cheating. I think you're cheating. And Sundance stands up and then Butch comes in and goes, hey, Sundance, we should go. Oh, you're the Sundance. I didn't know you were the Sundance (laughs) kid. He's like, and then the guy, he literally shoots the belt off the guy at (laughs) the card table and then shoots his gun five times away from him. And he's like, uh, here's your winnings, Mr. Sundance, kid, <laughs> sir. <laughs> but this is all well and good. Mm. It's a Western with lots of Western things in it. The thing is, is does it hold up? Should we get to that point? Because it is that time. Uh, yeah, I think so. The Finish. So, Max. Yeah. You haven't seen it since sometime in the 70s, I'm guessing. I think so. Wow. That's right. I mean, it's not an everyday film. So, no. So what do you think in this day and age 2023 it's a western so already we're talking a genre that's not exactly still up on the screen much
1: yeah still shows up now and then but two
0: more i can't think of anybody more iconic for that era than newman and redford Mm -hmm. and all the other stuff that's going on does this film actually
1: hold up for me yeah absolutely i think uh, I can see why I won Best Cinematography. It's beautiful to look at. It's one of those movies. It's John Ford is the only other one I can think of who shows the American West the same way. Just these gorgeous vistas, mm-hmm. and uh, the the chemistry between newman redford and to a degree Catherine ross even though she isn't there as much is amazing and i think the dialogue is wonderful there are just so many think you used enough dynamite there butch (laughs) i still i think we lost him you think we lost him no neither do i (laughs) whatever they're selling i I ain't buying it and the classic i can't swim are you crazy the fall will probably kill you (laughs) it's and the performances are really good it's also, it's a nice kind of swan song for the Western, for, for that type of character, for the outlaws. It's saying, yeah. I think that's the whole thing with the freeze frame at the end, is they're saying, yeah, we know they prob- they almost certainly died. But we're still telling stories about them a hundred years later, so they're still kind of alive. That's what I thought. What about you? You've never seen it.
0: Nope. What do you think? Never had any interest. I don't like Westerns. It's Uh, just not my thing. I'm not interested. That's fair. I think it's hard to not like this movie, even though it's 1969 and the visual languages of film have changed. Oh, yeah. This is nearly two hours long. It's an hour 50. Does not feel it. Nope. There are huge tonal shifts in this film. Really big ones from comedy to near tragedy to comedy to tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And they work. They do. It is part of the story. It still works. We have a bunch of, let's face it, character actors. So these are not usually people who get starring roles for a reason. And yet the director gets performances out of them that let you forget that. Yes, they're characters, but they're characters in the story, not oh, you know
1: Yep. Oh, he's a character.
0: Yeah. Not and even that when kind. they are kind of, there's still a little bit more to what they're doing. And Newman and Redford, dear gods, I mean that's like the biggest bromance ever, those <laughs> two. Because you 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 just want, you really do want to see more films with them in it. I didn't mind the western aspect of it because it's really, this film could be done in space and it would work just the same. <laughs> Wouldn't it though? If it, was, it absolutely
1: would. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's not entirely unlike some of the stuff they did in Firefly. And Firefly really leaned on the Western of outer space type of thing, but same kind of idea. Yeah, And those people were ostensibly villains, and not villains, but bad guys as yeah, well, thieves or, or rebels or whatever. I agree with the cinematography, and first of all, I'm like, oh, wait, are we watching a movie, watch a movie? Because it starts <laughs> off with us watching a, an old-timey silent film of the supposed depiction of Butch Cassidy and the Hole in the Wall gang and Sundance Kid and blah, blah, blah. And the first
1: scene of the movie is sepia all in, tone. Yeah. And the way they transition to color, I think, is wonderful.
0: Well, and one of the things is it makes the color really stand out. Yeah. Because this is a time... And to be fair, a lot of Westerns shot well. It's not a lot of color out there, right? No. It's mostly sand yeah. and rock and stuff. It's a lot of the brown. Co- the blue of the sky, the green of the trees and the water looks really good in this film. It is shot really
1: well. Or that it, sequence where they're running across the red clay.
0: Right, the the rocks that are all swirly, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And this is a time period—the late '60s, early '70s—is a time period where a lot of times in Hollywood, they were looking to things like the uh, French Nouveau, the uh, Cinema Veritas stuff like that. And color was being reduced. A lot of early oh. '70s, mid '70s films, the colors were bleached out. Films like *The yeah. uh, French Connection*. If you ever, s- I have never Blow seen out. New York look yeah. colder than it does in *The French Connection*. And it's because they had everything with color. When color first became a big deal, everyone would blow the color out. And everything was really colorful in color. Yep, and yep. now they're just like, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this Eastman film, color. it's not blown out, but it's really pretty. Yeah. I laughed. I had cared what happened to the characters. I loved the chemistry. And if that was trying to depict something a little different about the 60s, good. Because it was working in it in a way that still felt natural within the film. I totally see why this film was a huge thing. And why it was nominated and everything. Is this a film I'm going to come back to again and again? No. If I'm with a group of people and they happen to want to watch it, will I watch it with them? Yes. Because it is still enjoyable. It is a film that translates well the way it's timed. Because a lot of these films these days, we don't have the patience we did back then. So... I yeah I definitely vote for Butch Sundance and I'm glad I watched it. Don't see Butch and Sundance the early years.
1: Yes, or the Sundance Woman because this was so successful, they did try to uh, make sequels or capitalize on it, and it it just doesn't work. No, it's you like, want to see or, those or, two or together Jim again?
0: Henson's Sundance Babies. We don't.
1: Want <laughs> <laughs> Butch and Sundance go to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Butch yeah, and you Sundance see- and
0: Marty Carlo
1: yep yep if yeah you want to see those two together again you want to see R- redford and newman and by the way jo- uh, george roy hill directing see the sting oh him which, too yeah he did that too and by the way i checked. you are absolutely right it made 156 million to this see? movie's 102 million
0: y- yeah that's a kind of a mm-hmm. but you know you be redford i'll be newman and smile a lot uh, uh, good luck placing that quote <laughs> That's a deeper. That is a deeper. I I don't think even I know. I don't think I get it. That's from the T V series The Hardy Boys.
1: Okay. I'm no l i am no I am not ashamed that I have forgotten and I am so embarrassed for you that you remember it. I
0: just quoted Sean Cassidy.
1: Oh <laughs> which is connected because oh his name's Cassidy.
0: But you know what else <laughs> is connected? Our <laughs> poll question. Would you go over that? Again? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: Sure. Assuming you like Westerns at all, do you have a preference for the old classic John wayne John Ford Westerns like Fort Apache or The Magnificent Seven? Or do you like the more recent, grittier, darker Westerns like Unforgiven, Young Guns, or Dances with Wolves? And you can answer this question by... Oh, God, how do you answer the question? It's so new, I can't remember. Oh, yes. Oh, there ow. we go. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes Sorry. you just
0: got to hit Max. <laughs> yeah, you
1: just got to get the—it's it's like getting the little ball in the hole there in the game. Um, <laughs> yes, you, you can go to our website, maxmikemovies.com, and leave a comment. You can email us directly at us at com. They're related. Or you can find us on one social media platform, the only one that exists anywhere in the world anymore, the Facebook, under Max Mike Movies. Because I still can't get Mike to film any TikTok videos. (laughs) Or you. Details. (laughs) And, of course, we are on every podcast app in the known universe. Mm. We're just that good. Even that one. Yep. We're like a virus. <laughs> we are. We are. We are the plague that is Max Mike movies. But we aren't even close to being done with this series. We got another one. This time it'll be a movie. Mike's seen that I have not, and he can't believe I haven't seen it. Mike, what's the movie?
0: Oh, not being done, Max. Yeah, we're never going to be done. Never. never. Never? Yeah. The story we're going to tell, it just does not have an end. Wow. It is a uh-huh. never-ending story. Wow, that sounds like a long one. Yeah, so uh, if you tune in next week, you're (laughs) never going to be able to tune out. But yeah, somehow Max... But wait,
1: what's the movie? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh.
0: Ow! (laughs) Of course, those of you who don't like physical violence, please understand Max and I are like 400 miles apart. (laughs) So, uh, yes, never-ending story. I am very amazed Max has never seen this. It is a fantasy film, something he generally likes. Yep. It was a very popular film, well-thought-of film, not entirely unlike The Princess Bride. But, Max, don't see it. I don't see it. I ain't seen it. So next week, Max, gon' see it. And if you wanna (laughs) gon' see it with us and Max, tune in, won't you? A couple of quick corrections before the theme song. It seems uh, last week I made a little bit of a mistake with one of our actors and thinking that Tara Reed and Tara Strong were the same person. Thanks for pointing that out, Matt Reisman. We really appreciate the feedback. Also, yes, I realize that 1969 to 2023 is 54 years, not 44 years, so you can just keep those emails to yourself this time, but otherwise, write us.